She cannot. She finds it very disturbing. Because I, what I do is I tell the boys this all the time. I tell them, guys, I'm worth more to you dead than I am alive. I'm just telling you right now. And guys, when I go, you're allowed to go buy this, 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 and this. I tell them that. And then Dawn gets upset and she says, don't talk that way. Don't talk about that. And I would say, honey, when I go, you still got your looks. You got, you're going to have a house. You're going to have money. I said, you're going to be a catch. She doesn't, she doesn't find that really funny. But I don't have a problem talking about death. Jesus, guys, I'm going to die. But I'm going to rise again. But they quit listening after that part of I'm going to die. So what you're really doing here in Matthew 17 is you see Jesus trying to show them, guys, I'm going to die, but it's going to be okay. And so all these little miracles that we see in Matthew 17 that kind of seem like they don't fit, they fit. Because every time he says, I'm going to die, he does something amazing to remind them it's going to be okay. Guys, I'm going to die, but here's the transfiguration to show you a glimpse of heaven, of my glory. So it's going to be okay. And this is where we left off last week. Look at verse 9 of Matthew 17. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elisha must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. See, he brings up this idea of death again. And the disciples, as soon as they hear the word dead, in verse 9, they bring up Elijah. Now, we have to know a little bit of Old Testament prophecy here. Last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And one of the last prophecies in the book of Malachi is that Elijah is going to come before the Messiah. Now, after the book of Malachi was written, there's something called the silent years. There was no prophet of God for over 400 years until you got to John the Baptist. So, Israel has been waiting centuries for this idea of Elijah to come. So now they understand that Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples go, well, this this doesn't work. Because the only way this works and you can die is if Elijah comes. Now, I'm going to throw out my opinion on this. My opinion. So be, be leery here. I think they're basically saying, well, you can't die because the rule is Elijah has to come first. You, you can't die. Elijah has to come first. And so Jesus said, you know what? You're right. And Elijah did come first. Elijah came and John the Baptist. Now, this does not mean that John the Baptist was the resurrected form of Elijah. No. Elijah, his ministry, his mission, John the Baptist came in the power and ministry of Elijah, preparing the way of the Lord. So that's what he's talking about. But you also see something else happening here. Because look at verse 11. Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. He's talking future. He is coming. But then in verse 12, but I say to you that Elijah has come already. It's like, Jesus, make up your mind. Is he, is he coming or has he already come? This is what you call in the Bible something called a dual prophecy or a dual fulfillment. That one thing refers to two things at the same time. This happens a lot in the Bible. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, this idea of Elijah coming has a dual fulfillment. One, he came in the spirit and power in John the Baptist to prepare me at my first coming. But then Elijah, what we teach and believe, if you study the book of Revelation, the two witnesses, that Elijah literally comes before Jesus' second coming. So that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying he has come. 
John the Baptist, spirit and power, preparing people to meet me. Remember what John the Baptist said, repent, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he's also coming again. Elijah is literally coming before judgment comes at Jesus' second coming. So the disciples almost seem like they're saying, well, I, I, I don't want to deal with Elijah now because that means if Elijah's coming, that means you really could die. They don't want to deal with this idea of death. This is the theme that's going to keep going on here. Verse 14. Now, when they would come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to him, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now there's a lot of points right here. A lot of points. First point I want to share with you is this. This idea of what I call the mountaintop experiences. They just had an amazing experience on the mountain. Imagine being part of that group of Peter, James, and John. You just saw Moses and Elijah. You just saw Jesus glorified. You saw this amazing picture of the future. That's, that's unbelievable. That is a mountaintop experience. And as soon as you get down from the mountain, what's waiting for you? Demonically possessed boy. What can we learn from this? Satan will never get you on the mountaintop experiences. He'll always wait for you at the bottom. He won't go for you at the mountaintop. Because on the mountaintop, you're so focused on the Lord. You're so focused on what God is doing. Yeah. He says, I can't get you there. I'm just going to wait for you at the bottom. Because life is full of mountaintop experiences back to reality. Mountaintop experiences back to reality. I use the example of pastor's conference. We go to pastor's conference in October. We've been going for 18, 19 years. We love it. When I'm at pastor's conference, it's just it's refreshing. It's encouraging. You just learn so much. It's a mountaintop experience. But I tell you, it's a battle to get there. And as soon as I get home, it's another battle. But when I'm there, it's amazing. But anything that could go wrong beforehand goes wrong. And when you get back, there's always a lot of stuff waiting for you. So I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're on a mountaintop experience right now. The Lord is moving and working and just you just see the answers and the Lord is doing so much. Amen. Be prepared. Because there's something waiting at the bottom. Because that's what the enemy does. And what did Paul say? That we're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices. This is how he works. This is how he works. And I bet if you look back over your Christian life, there's been times where there's moments of where you just got it. And you just really felt like, Lord, I never want to lose this moment. And then a day or two later, the world starts attacking you. That's exactly what the enemy does. Be prepared for Satan at the bottom. Be prepared. What else do we see? We see ministry is frustrating. Verse 6, 17, excuse me. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? That's your Messiah right there. He's exasperated. He's frustrated. He gave them power to cast out demons. He gave them power over all evil spirits. He comes down from the mountain. The first thing he runs into is, Hey, I brought him to your disciples, verse 16, but they can't cure him. He almost did see Jesus sighing and saying, Guys, 
I don't believe this is anger in verse 17. I don't believe he's yelling this or screaming this. I believe it's more of a, guys, what else do I need to do? I showed you my power. I gave you my power. I know you can do this. It's just that frustration. Boy, that's difficult, isn't it? Ministry is difficult. The other day I was in the kitchen. I was sitting at the, uh, on the bar stools there doing some stuff. Dawn was on the other side of the kitchen taking care of stuff. And she had a moment of frustration. She was frustration about dishes. Dishes bothered Dawn a lot, and the dishwasher, etc. wasn't working properly. And so she kind of starts this, this long speech about dishes and kids. This is what you need to do. This is where you need to put them and all this other type of stuff. And I stopped and I said, Dawn, I'm the only one in the kitchen. She goes, I just feel better saying it. I think that's her Jesus moment. Oh, faithless. And we're first generation. I mean, do you ever want to do that, parents? Did you ever want to look at your spouse and say, oh, faithless and prefer spouse? How much longer should I bear with you? You know, we have these moments. We have these moments. Somebody one time described ministry as this. They read it in a book that ministry is standing at this edge of a cliff and watching people come up to the cliff, look over the cliff, and you tell them, please don't jump than watching them jump off the cliff. And then you see somebody else come up to the cliff, look over the cliff, and you say, oh, please don't jump, it's not worth it, and then they jump off the cliff. That's what ministry is a lot of times. It's, hey, guy, work on your marriage. It's worth it. Hey, lady, work on your marriage. It's worth it. Hey, kids, go deeper in the Lord now while you're young. Plant that foundation. It is. It's just reminding people, don't jump off the cliff. But then watching them do it. And then somebody else comes up. It's like, it's not worth it, guys. Don't do it. Jesus here, there's a frustration. Disciples, I know you can do this. I know you can. I've given you the power. So instead of being angry and upset, he turns it into a teaching moment, which I appreciate. He rebukes the demon. The demon comes out. The disciples come to him and say, why can't we do this? Why couldn't we? This is what I love about Christ. He uses it as a teaching moment to say, let me tell you why. And he goes, guys, it's because of faith. It's because of faith, unbelief. Now be careful with this. Make sure you understand the passage. Jesus said to him, because of your unbelief. Not the boy's unbelief. Not the dad's unbelief. The disciple's unbelief. In fact, in the same story in Mark chapter 9, when Jesus tells the dad... If you believe all things are possible, the dad has one of the greatest prayers of all time. The dad says, Lord, help my unbelief. What a prayer. Lord, in faith, I pray for more faith. Lord, in faith, I pray I can get through this storm because I don't see it and I need faith right now. So in faith, I'm asking for faith. That dad had faith. The reason the boy wasn't healed was because of the disciples' unbelief. See, what happens is sometimes you hear teachings saying, if you don't have enough faith, the Lord can't move. You hear teachings that if you had more faith, that healing could happen. This miracle could happen, and it's all your fault. Johnny Erickson Tata tells a great story about this. For you that don't know Johnny Erickson Tata's story, she's paralyzed from the neck down. You know, Johnny and Friends camp that we do as a church here and supports and people go. But she tells the story that one time someone came up to her. And told her that if you had faith, if you had more faith, you could be healed. So she said, do you have your Bible with you? And he said, yeah. She goes, could you open up the Bible? Took him to Matthew 17. Had him read this passage because of your unbelief. She looked at him and said, no, you don't understand. If you had more faith, I could be healed. 
Because it was the disciples' unbelief. She was trying to teach him. Don't blame this on me. This example right here, disciples, if you had more faith, you could have moved and worked. So what type of faith do we need? Well, you just need mustard seed faith. You know what a mustard seed I mean, it's so tiny, tiny little mustard seed. But what is the Lord trying to teach us here? It's not how much faith you have, it's what kind of faith you have. The Lord can work with the tiniest amount of faith. But he says, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have mountain-moving faith? See, we always look at it as, oh, I need more faith. No, Jesus said, no, you just need the faith of a mustard seed. But you just need to believe that that faith can move mountains. That's what I love about the Lord. He'll take the tiniest thing that we can offer and says, oh, I can use this. Remember, it's not how much, it's what kind. Do you have mountain-moving faith to know and trust that the Lord's still going to move and work in your life? And then he kind of finishes it up with this, verse 21. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, if you have NIV or New Living Translation, you probably have a footnote in there talking about the debate between manuscripts, etc. This passage is also mentioned in Mark chapter 9. But what Jesus is saying here is this one comes out by prayer and fasting. This idea of fasting keeps coming up again and again and again. Let me stress this. I call these prayers of preparation. There's no way at this moment when the disciples learned this that they could have said, Okay, I got it now. Okay, dad of the demonically possessed boy, um, we're going to go fast for a day, come back tomorrow at 8 a.m., then we'll try it. What Jesus is trying to say is there's supposed to be a season of prayer and fasting in your life. I call it prayers of preparation, preparing for the things that you know are coming. So often we look at prayer as reactionary. This event happens, so therefore I must pray about it. That's good, that's biblical, that's true. But what about prayers of preparation? You know you're going to have a bad day sometime here coming up. So, Lord, I pray when that stress arrives that you'll give me strength. Maybe you have an event coming up on the calendar. It may be weeks, months away. But I'm going to start praying now in preparation for strength for it. You know, your kids may be doing great right now. Amen. Prayers of fasting and preparation. Lord, I pray that when they get older, they would have the right spouse. They would have the right good godly friends. It would be a light witness. Preparing for what you know is going to come. You know it's going to come. And that's the idea of fasting. What's the idea of that? You stop feeding the flesh for a moment and you focus on the spiritual. We've talked a lot about fasting here lately. So instead of that time you'd spend in feeding the flesh and preparing the meal, you spend that time in worship. You spend that time in prayer and saying, Lord, I'm going to let go of the physical for a while and I'm going to focus on the spiritual. If I ever have a big counseling session coming up, I try to fast before, the meal before, because I really want to be prepared. I don't know what's going to come up in that session. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what problems are going to pop up. So, Lord, I want to be prayerfully prepared for whatever is coming. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Guys, get prepared. Get ready. Now, once again, follow the logic. Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. But to show you it's going to be okay, here's the transfiguration. Okay, now, guys, I'm going to remind you one more time. I'm going to die. Now, they're not handling this real well. But, guys, to show you I got this under control. Remember, I have power over the spiritual realm demons. So now he goes back one more time. Verse 22. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. He tries again, a third time. Guys, I'm going to die, but don't worry. Verse 23, he will be raised up. What happened? Verse 23, they quit listening after he said the word kill. Do you ever do that to the Lord? You hear that one word and you just stop listening. You don't hear the full thing. Let me give you an example. Can you go to John 16, please? John 16.
John 16, start in verse 32. Jesus has a great four chapters here of teaching and prayer. And as he's getting towards the end of this teaching, he reminds them of the difficulties of life. Verse 32 of John 16. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own, and I will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Stop. Some people just stop right there. I'm going to have tribulation. Right, but look at the rest. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How often is there something going on in life, it reaches a point of this is not what we signed up for, this is not what I want, this is not what I like, so I just quit listening and is so focused on the problem i'm so focused on the situation that i'm not focused on the savior the disciples keep hearing the words like kill dead and they become sorrowful but jesus keeps saying but guys i'm gonna rise again now we know they didn't get it because if you go study out the easter message the resurrection message there on resurrection day what happens They're not looking for an empty tomb. They're looking for a body. They didn't get it. They quit listening. Think back to the most, probably the most famous psalm of all time. Psalm 23. You guys know how that one goes. And just jump ahead a little bit. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We hear the word death. What do we do? We quit listening. Death. Destruction. Despair. My health is not the way I want it to be. My marriage is not the way I want it to be. My life is not the way I want it to be. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. My life is awful. Yeah, but what's the rest of the verse say? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, we've got to learn to listen to the whole thing that Jesus says. And we don't have to carry the burden of it. See, just jump back real quick. I meant to mention this earlier. Verse 16 I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. What's Jesus' great response? Verse 17. Bring him here to me. Just think about that. You don't have to carry the burden. If you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to carry that burden. The Lord says, just take it to me. I'll take care of you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. Fear no evil. If you have a loved one that is going through a difficult time and you're carrying the burden of that person on your shoulders, quit doing that. Just take him to Jesus. Just point them towards the Lord. Well, they don't want to hear it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to their heart then. Let them figure it out with Christ. You just keep being a road map. You just keep being the flashing signal that points them towards Christ. When they want to, when their heart is open and ready, they'll then receive it. Until then, just do what Jesus says. Bring them here to me. Oh, that's the answer. Take them to Christ. So now we finally get to this final story. And it's Jesus basically trying to tell the disciples, guys, listen, I'm going to die, but you've seen my power in the transfiguration. I'm going to die, but raised again, and you saw my power over the demon boy. I'm going to die, be raised again. And it's like, guys, I can just take care of you. Trust me. Verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes, from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, thus we offend them. Go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first. When you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Okay, that is a strange story, people. But in the context of what we have been studying, 
It's Jesus trying to show the disciples one more time. I can take care of you. I can take care of you for all of eternity, transfiguration. I can take care of you on this earth, the demonic boy. I can take care of your needs daily. I'm going to have you get a coin out of a fish's mouth. I can take care of you. Now, a little bit of background here. Temple tax, verse 24. Exodus chapter 30. Any male, 20 and above, you had to pay a half shekel. Half shekel. Now, at the time of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, guess what? There is a huge controversy on whether you should pay the temple tax or not. Isn't it nice to know that in 2,000 years, nothing has ever changed? You bring up taxes. One of the most nervous I ever was teaching a lesson was one time when I taught through Romans 13. And you had to talk about taxes. Because you just see people getting upset and getting frustrated. Because why? We hate it. We hate the idea of, I don't want my money to go support something that I don't agree with, that I believe is biblically or morally wrong. And I know Christians that do everything they can to try to find a passage in the Bible to get out of paying taxes. I'm not a citizen of America. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. But look what Christ did. Christ said, pay it. Now, look at the logic here. He comes to Simon and says, Simon... The king's going to make you pay taxes. Now, would the king charge taxes to his sons or to strangers? Well, the answer is to strangers. The king's not going to make his own kids pay taxes. Jesus says in verse 26, and the sons are free. What Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm the son of God. (laughs) I'm free in this area. I don't have to pay. Peter, you are the son of God also. You don't have to pay. Well, then amen. Let's just stop right there, right? But verse 27, nevertheless, lest we offend them. Because Peter, we're not going to cause an issue on this. We're just going to do it. We don't want to offend them. We're not going to make a big deal out of this. And just to prove that the Lord will take care of this, Peter, go fishing. And there's going to be a coin in a fish's mouth. Now, there's two ways to look at Peter going to fish. Number one, is he trying to humble Peter? Peter is a professional fisherman. That's what he does. He fishes with boats. He fishes with nets. This is what he does. Is it humbling for Peter to go sit on the dock of the bay and cast his line out? I don't know. Some people take it that way. The other way to take it is, would this not be the most fun day of ministry of all time? John, James, Bartholomew. Peter, what are you doing, huh? Jesus asked me to go fish. Wouldn't you like it if today you could go home and tell your family, Jesus asked me to fish today. I see... I start out with thinking, oh, I think God's trying to humble Peter. Then now I'm like, no. I think of what the Bible says. The Bible says that God gives us the desires of our heart. Now, that doesn't mean that God is a genie in the sky and whatever I want he gives me. I don't mean it that way. It means that my desires should line up with his desires. And then when our desires are lined up, it's like, Lord says, James, I want to bless you because you want to do what I want you to do. But I've noticed in ministry that there are days where I get to go do stuff. And it's like, this is what I get to do. This is crazy. This is what I get to do. This is the fun of what I get to do. And here's a day where Jesus told Peter, Peter, go fishing. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And that's what I want you to do. Sometimes ministry is frustrating. Sometimes ministry is difficult. We already saw that in verse 17. But some days ministry is going out to go fishing and you get to pull a coin out of a fish's mouth. That's the beauty of what we get to do. And remember, the Bible says that every one of us is a minister. Every one of us. 
So if I see somebody involved in ministry and I start to see the frustration and I start to see the stress and I start to see the discouragement, that's probably the day they need to go fishing and try to pull a coin out of a fish's mouth to remind them the joy of eternity, to remind them the joy of serving people. And I think sometimes the Lord says, hey, Peter, go fishing. And if you're in a difficult time right now of life and you're really going through a tough time, Sometimes the Lord takes care of you through the strangest ways. And there may be a time when the Lord says, you know what? There's a coin in a fish's mouth. Go get it. Not literally, but just something to encourage you, just something to uplift you. Because look at what we're talking about here in Matthew. We're talking about tough time followed by God's glory, tough time followed by God's power, tough time followed by God's provision. Is that not the up and down of life? Up and down, up and down. James chapter 1 tells us, though, that if as a man I get caught in those emotional ups and downs, the Bible says that I'm like a wave tossed to and fro by the sea and that I'm unstable. Have you ever seen an unstable Christian? One day, Jesus is the greatest thing in the world, and I think I'm going to be a missionary, and I'm going to start a church. One week later, I don't even know why I pray. It doesn't do any good. Followed by the next week of, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow to tell this person about Christ. Followed by the next day of, I can't stand you, I never want to see you again. Up, down, up, down. Man, Jesus said, I am the foundation of your life. You're going to have days of ministry that are frustrating. You're going to have days where there's coins in a fish's mouth. But ultimately speaking, you have to keep your eyes on eternity and not the ups and downs of life. Keep your eyes on the Savior, not the situation. Keep planting seeds into your spiritual life and say, Lord, okay, I'm allowing life to get the best of me way too much. Help me get my focus back on you. Every time the disciples got their focus off the Lord and they became sorrowful or afraid, Jesus would do something mighty to say, guys, I'm still moving. I'm still working. Trust me. So maybe you're in a moment today where it's like, Lord, I don't see you. Trust him. He's still moving. He's still working. The song that the worship team is going to close with, there's just some amazing words in that song. And as we're just singing that final song, I want you to think about that. Maybe you're on the mountaintop experience right now. It's good. Then amen. Enjoy it. Be prayerfully prepared for what happens at the bottom of the mountain. The enemy is waiting. Be prayerfully prepared for that. Maybe right now you're in a tough situation. God wants to reveal his power to you. He does. Keep your eyes open. Keep your focus on him. And if you're going through a tough time, think about these words. Worship team, if you can come forward here, as they get ready to sing this song. There's some power in that. And I just really want you to stop and just worship this song. Pray through this song. Listen to these words here. Let's just pray. Lord, I pray our heart is prepared for what you want to say and do. Lord, for those that are on the mountaintop right now, amen. Bless them.